Hey, welcome to episode six. <clears throat> the very first episode six, the only episode six of the Trapidemic show with me, Alex P. Wilson, at Alex P. Wilson on Twitter. If you have suggestions for guests of the future. Or stuff you want to talk about, maybe questions you you want to ask certain certain guests, uh, or just to find out when it's up and see the pictures of of the episodes. Today's episode, uh, episode six, is with Tanya Beetham. She's a, a psychologist and lecturer at the University of Northampton here in the UK. She's also a a counsellor and psychotherapist. She works with children and young people in this country. And um, her research focuses on children and young people and domestic violence. We don't really get into her research too much in the talk. We talk a lot about power relationships. And we start with feminism and I guess go into power and all that kind of groovy stuff. It's a heavy one for sure. I hope you enjoy it. I enjoyed having the conversation. It was really cool. So, uh, yeah, here's... Podcast 6, Trapidemic, with Tanya Beetham. Enjoy. Right, so. Yeah. It's on. Awesome. I'm consciously aware I haven't actually explained how this works. Okay, well. But you heard Charlotte's, didn't you? So. I heard Charlotte's. Um, and maybe you could explain a bit more now. Um, we just have a conversation like we just were, but mm-hmm. with the mics on. Cool. So our conversation was just about the mics. But it was. It's, it, we'll, we'll talk about that kind of stuff. Okay. And I wanted to get you on because... Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to get you on this early because um, Charlotte's... Charlotte Dan's podcast mm-hmm. number three, I think it was. Yes. Yeah, picked up. Uh, or my number two, one of those. It was early. Up, I think it was number two. Was it? Yeah, and that um, got quite popular. Yeah. Quite, quite quick. popular. And a lot of comments about that. People saying, you know, it was some of the like really nice comments that I passed mm. on to Charlotte. Like, uh, this is hard to stop listening to. It's yeah. the best one I got, which was really nice. I love listening to it. Um, so there, it was obviously for Charlotte's, not for my input. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I decided to get you on earlier than... than uh, planned awesome uh, to talk about more feminist more stuff feminist related stuff yeah as i mentioned to charlotte every time i see her like i notice stuff a little bit more yeah since the podcast yeah and even listening back to the podcast i'm more conscious of my own speech mm. not just about feminism but but everything mm. mm-hmm. now i'm conscious of asking you about all of those things and then i would be interviewing you and that would be <coughs> that's like fine it's just a conversation oh that's fine <laughs> The specific, the specific one, and I've, I, I said it to Charlotte as well last yeah. week, was 
in that podcast I used the word retarded a few times. Yeah. And in context, I mean retarded as in silly, mm-hmm. in like a playboy, ver- like a mm-hmm. play- playboy is the wrong word, like a playground okay. version, like yeah. a boyhood version. Right. Um, but then y- you don't notice the potential harm that using those kind of words mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I could lie and say that I use it like flame retardation, mm-hmm. but I wasn't using it like that. I was legitimately just using it like to work to mean silly. Mm. But that's like, you know, when you're a little kid and you're in school and you say something's gay, or you mean <laughs> it's lame, which again is another word. You, you mean you yeah. don't like it. Yeah. That's what it means. Yeah. So, I guess um, you are more aware of some language. Yeah. And, yeah, there's power in language. Um, yeah. Lots of power in language. And there, there are histories in, in the words that we use as well. Um, yeah, I noticed that when I was listening to the podcast with Charlotte as well, and she, she, she kind of pulled you up on some of it in the conversation. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. But you just never think of it, really. It was good to to talk about sort of the meanings of certain words, mm-hmm. and that stuff you you know because you consciously think about it. So you think of like bitch and what that means to mm. to women and what that means to men, mm-hmm. two separate things, really. Mm. Mm. but uh, certain things just come out in conversation and now I, I sort of get to a point where I notice it before I say it mm. whereas before maybe I would just notice it after I've said it be like, oh that's dodgy or not even at all sometimes things just because it's just a habit things yeah. just come out as a habit sure although sometimes there are things that you say that are not necessarily um meaning loaded language but just mm. assumptions that you make so um yesterday um i did a rather epic drive i drove from scotland to okay, northampton like yesterday hours, right? pretty Something, pretty yeah. pretty long drive actually i should have taken i think it should have taken like six but we stopped and yeah yeah you know took around eight in the end and so something interesting that happened with um the friend that i was with luke we were driving and um there was a car, someone driving the car, which, you know, the car did some pretty annoying moves, you know, where it cuts up behind you and goes straight behind, next to you and overtakes you, then snaps back in front of you, then they couldn't go any further anyway because it was dangerous to overtake, and then they end up just, you know, one car ahead, and they're not getting anywhere any quicker than they would have done behind you. And then, um, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, well, he's stupid, or that was, you know, he did that, and actually, we're like, hmm. The gendered assumptions that we make around around oh, those things. Oh, before you even so know the driver. Before we even know, but yeah. the assumption that it's going to be a man driving so the car, aggressive is a man, a and yeah. slow. You'd say she can't drive or whatever. Well, yeah, I've heard that as well. People yeah, are like, oh, but I guess women. even and you don't even know yet, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I guess even for like, and I like to think that I am more aware of what I'm saying yeah. but I'll do it when I'm teaching or I'll do it like you know like oh him in that car when you don't know who who on earth is driving that car but those it's not even about language it's just about assumptions that that we make I often do it when someone's talking about oh they went to the doctor and I'm like oh what did he say yeah. and it's yeah. like my goodness whereas in, in actuality <laughs> you should be able to say either well I none. try to say they yeah but I mean you should um, be able to say either and it not 
be strange in a conversation. Sure. Yeah, exactly. But it's interesting when you catch yourself out with yeah. those those kind of assumptions. Um, I mean, talking to people, I sometimes say she as doctor. Yeah. But I think I've always done that. It's just a weird thing I do. I say she as doctor sometimes. I'll uh-huh. say he as well. But I never do it with nurse. I know it's a nurse yeah. is always a she. Okay. For whatever reason. Okay. Um, but I'll, and the only person who doesn't notice is my two and a half year old. Oh, yeah. Because he doesn't notice, obviously. That's interesting. That's and really small, even older children, like yeah. six, seven year olds, they don't tend to notice. No, no. If I say she doctor, they don't assume male doctor. Whereas other people, you can kind of see their face, mm. like you said something strange. Mm. Yeah. No, it's just it's 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 interesting. It's mm. not always in the really obvious language that you might use mm. um like oh that's retarded or that's gay or you know sometimes it's more subtle sometimes it's yeah. much more subtle and it might not even be something that you say just something that might be part of a thought process or something that you just might assume would do you think that's too sensitive what do you mean of people to be super offended by things that are that subtle I think like how important do you think intent is in offending somebody intent's important but I think it's also important not to individualise that because there might not be that kind of individual um, thought process or intent and I think potentially offence might happen or um, yeah potentially offence might happen if it's like seen as just that one individual interaction when actually, if you kind of strip that back and think about what are the kind of wider social cultural messages that are informing how people talk, it's less of an individual thing and more of a thing that is bigger than that individual. Yeah, but is that how offence is dealt with? Because I don't think it is. No, it's I not. I don't think it's dealt with as, as, let's look at why we're using those words. It's don't I wish use those it was. <laughs> yeah, it probably should, right? Because yeah. then you'd think, because then you all come to that awakening moment of, oh, look, I'm saying these things and it doesn't mean that. Maybe I'll come up... Like, I've started saying silly, mm. which... Because I can't think of another word for it. I think that's an interesting point, though, because we don't always have the language to articulate what we mean because of mm. the way in which language is so much ingrained in how we talk. And yeah. there are so many, um, you know, so many of those historical assumptions that um, are loaded with all of the isms possible. Yeah. Like loaded with racism or sexism or ableism mm-hmm. um, that are actually part of um, reproducing these systems of oppression that are really um, marginalising and not helpful. But I think it's really interesting because we don't often have the language directly available to us to talk about what we mean and I notice it when I'm teaching sometimes so I teach on um, mental health Mm -hmm. um, child and adolescent mental health and sometimes I notice that um, students can be like extra cautious about the words that they're using and I try very much not to teach in a kind of pathologizing way and I kind of um I think that's really important um, not to not to teach or speak in a pathologizing way, but often there's that language that's so built into 
mental health and how we talk about mental health, mm-hmm. which um, is inherently well, yeah, pathologizing and othering. Um, like crazy. Or yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Saying someone's mental. Like that. Absolutely, and there—I mean—there are layers to that argument, and there are some layers that that kind of go down to the the kind of function of diagnosis, yeah. um, which some people would be, you know, argue in a very kind of anti-diagnostic way and say that actually diagnosing is a pathologizing, a stigmatizing, and unhelpful thing to do, um, because symptoms are just symptoms of human distress. Yeah. So there are kind of layers to that, but what I notice sometimes is that actually having the language available to articulate that can be quite difficult Mm -hmm. particularly when we live in a very individualizing culture in which if someone says something that unintentionally unintentionally you know reproduces some of that then they're blamed and that's not always the intent Mm -hmm. and so i think yeah it's a much bigger thing yeah but because we live in a culture that does tend to individualize a lot, that's where I think some of that, yeah, you know, offense, blame comes into it. Because that's almost all of Twitter. Yes. Oh, yes. Which I've only really recently started actually properly using. Because mm. before I just didn't use it, I never tweeted, and, and now I've just started using it. <clears throat> oh, it's a whole new game. <laughs> but most of. And my fun, actually, it's quite fun to do, but mm-hmm. it also makes me sad. Is when you see someone who's posted something mm-hmm. uh, that's not normally not even that polarizing, just the hate that is in the comments, mm-hmm. and then you look at the people that sent those comments, mm-hmm. and it's like pictures of their kids in their yeah. their avies or you know, it, it's it's not anonymous. Like these things are around forever, and you, the, it, so for some reason, this this social media gives you this cloud that you you just wouldn't say those things to a person. But it's okay to say, you know, you should have died instead of whatever. Yeah, people are saying um, horrible stuff like that. Yes, well, and there are some people that, um, are, you know, the social media trolls, and they do anonymize their yeah, that's their, that's their, their little game. That, that is the game. Their ways yeah. to to piss people off to get attention. Oh gosh, there's so much. I d- I don't get so in- involved with um, some of what happens, but actually I no, do. No, I don't. I just see it. I see That's it thing, too. Yeah, yeah. And it was International Men's Day, wasn't it? Like day oh, I saw yesterday. something like that. Yeah, I saw the hashtag. Yep. Um, and days like that, <laughs> prime time for those kinds for of... people to just have the fight. Yeah, and it ignores a message that's behind the hashtag. So if there is a genuine, if it's International Men's Day, one thing I saw was, uh, I just saw it actually, mm. uh, a comedian invited to, who one who I hope to actually get on one day, invited to a member of parliament, mm. uh, to speak to members of parliament um, about banter in yeah. male culture and, you know, this stigma of mental health to men. Mm. I mean, but what that creates then is you, you have this hashtag to, raise awareness to that sort of thing and it just becomes a war between Mm. feminists and men's rights men's rights activists i think i mean like i said i don't i I don't jump on board with some of those no but a lot of feminists do yeah for sure even if it's even if it's not reciprocated sometimes it's maybe the men's rights attacking them but there's got to be some 
for sure there's feminists that answer. Yeah. Um, and that's not useful, is it? Answering well, trolls? <laughs> or answering legitimate arguments in a trolly way? If the men's rights activists have a point. What kind of point would they have? I don't know. I don't really know anything about men's rights activism. I watched, um, I was telling Charlotte, I watched mm. the Reggie Yates documentary. I don't know if you've seen it. Men, men at War. No, I haven't seen it. It's a, he, you know, he exposed himself to these yeah. groups and cultures and things. Yeah. And uh, he, it was men's rights. Right. And um, some of them were like super secretive and wouldn't let him in. And it was astonishing how quickly it turned from, you know, we need to protect our identities because the world's being feminized to racism. Like See, because he's black, right? Like, so it was almost like it's a house. The point was, it's it's hiding trolls, mm. men's rights activism, mm-hmm. sort of, yeah. But that's that's the only experience I had. Milo Giannopoulos was on there, and right, yeah. I guess if I don't know, that's why I asked what kind of point would I think the they point? Yeah, I think the points that they were a lot of their points seemed to just be anti-feminism. Right, but, but some of the points. They talking about when so they said like men's feminism. rights, like divorce, which is the only one I could think of that affects men. That has an advert. I mean, because for thousands of years, men's rights have just been called rights. Well, I think there's <laughs> something very different about men's rights and women's rights when you think about. Well, if you strip that back, that's about sexism, and I think it's quite. Yeah. Um, impossible to be sexist against men in a way that marginalises them or positions men as not privileged when sexism yeah. is built on the oppression of women. Yeah, you see, I have... You see, the, the worry is from the men's rights... Mm. I'm not a men's rights activist, as you know, <laughs> but the worry is from them, I guess, that it's like... This is Charlotte's analogy, so mm. I'm stealing it. Sure. <clears throat> it was, you know... Um, if men have three quarters of the cake mm. and feminism's goal is to make sure that women have half the cake, mm. you're taking a quarter from the men, but to share the cake, that's the point, to mm. share the cake. No one is taking your cake. It's to make it fair so everyone has the same opportunities to do whatever. Mm-hmm. And you would apply that to whatever. You'd apply that to race and gender, race, and, gender and, class, and everything. Yeah, everything. class. Yeah. You'd, the aim would be to... To apply that opportunity. Okay, so there's like everything. equal opportunity yeah. um, for everybody. Yeah, so that's the that's the aim, right? And that's the aim of feminism, as far as I'm concerned, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I right? mean, you Equality. know, there are different... It's not about women's uh, supremacy. No, it's not. But for the defence... No, but I mean, I, from looking on the outside, it doesn't look that way either. Okay. But that's what that's why I, that's what I learned from speaking with Charlotte. Anyway, yeah. That it's not about uh, supremacy. No, not at all. Different feminists would tell you different things about what feminism means to them. Yeah. Um, and different people who are, don't identify as being feminist would, I'm sure, give you a different definition about mm-hmm. what feminism means to them as well. Because, um, sure. I mean, if it's about supremacy, that's that's the same thing as, as, as being a bigot as a man. Well, it's, yeah... It would be the same, but just the other side of the coin. Yeah, my perspective is it's not about supremacy. Yeah, Um, it's supposed to be about equality, right? For me, Mm -hmm. um, equality, yes, that's what it's about. But it's also about 
recognizing that I don't know it's a very and I still kind of struggle with this (laughs) because yes um, it's about equality and yes it would be fantastic to live in a world that was socially just that you know everybody had equal access to everything and um, you know we didn't live constrained by structures that inherently allow some to be privileged and some not to be um but for me it's almost like actually there are these structures Mm -hmm. that we live within and i struggle to envision (laughs) any kind of world or society that is dissolved of all of that yeah because we have histories of course that we can't erase no um and so for me, sometimes it's... That's the argument of white privilege, isn't it? Yeah. And so for me, sometimes it's actually, it's about acknowledging that, that those are the structures that we live in. Yeah. Um, and that that, I don't know, this is where I get, this is where I'm like, I don't know where, yeah. where the next bit is. But me but as a man, I'm not threatened by that. So if there are 12 places at the table mm. and only one has ever been given to women and now it's, you know... We're reaching for this equality, six men, six women. It might mean I don't get a seat at the table, but mm. that meant I didn't deserve one. Okay. If six men have the seat at the table and six women, you have the six best women and the six best men. Mm-hmm. If previously it was a, the 11 best men. But then it's like, my, how's the but best? It's not, but the, but what I'm, it's just hypothetical. Yeah. But what I'm saying then is my job is to get into the six best men. Mm. It's It's not to hold down and only allow one woman. So if we have six men, and that applies to everything, that obviously it's just completely hypothetical. Mm. If we're just saying on the basis of having six men and six women, mm. I may be excluded from the table, but that meant I didn't deserve to be there because I'm not in that best. See then, So I'm like, not threatened by feminism. Taking a part of my power as a man away doesn't threaten me whatsoever because I'm trying to be the best regardless of what sex you identify mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. or gender you identify gender, as yeah <coughs> see for me i then go to okay so who's defining best and what else is impacting but, i mean that's just whatever yeah. if we're just picking the 12 best people i'm not i'm not for whatever this thing is so let's mm-hmm. just say it's a job we have okay. the 12 best posts i'm not remotely threatened if i don't make the 12 then that's my problem mm-hmm. i own i own that that's my fault it's not I don't. I'm not going to say. Oh well, I didn't get it because now they're having this initiative where they're taking women. Mm. Even if that's the case, mm. and they say, "Oh, we're we're only going to take two men for this post," my job now is not to be the best six or the best twelve. It's mm-hmm. now to be in the top two. Right. I own the challenge. That's the point. It's. I I couldn't care less. Mm. See. I'm not oppressed. It doesn't affect me. At the table or. I don't feel <laughs> oppressed in any way, other than being lower class. Okay, but then I think, yeah, so I get it, what you're saying. So I, I have, I'm not. That's what. So men's rights are feeling as though it's gonna go the other way. So they're feeling as though you're, you're taking their spaces away from the table, when the truth is, you shouldn't have had that space at the table, because there are twelve seats. So it should be equally distributed among whatever. If all is fair, which again. It's utopian because mm. of histories and, mm. and everything. But if all is fair, 
statistics would just show you you should get 50 50 if you have enough people if you have enough of a sample Mm. you would end up with 50 so if i just asked if i got the thousand best whatever Mm. if all was fair and everyone went into that career choice for equal reasons Mm. i should end up with 500 men 500 women Mm-hmm. It's quite difficult, and a certain percentage that reflects uh, the general population of race, sex, class, and sure. I guess what whatever. I guess I'm noticing, like I'm trying to think of what my response is, but actually, I think it's quite difficult um, because it feels quite abstract. Yeah, this it's massively abstract. Of the table. Yeah, and but nothing. For me, anyway, like, my response, I guess, and I think this is why I'm struggling to think about what my response is, because nothing is abstract. It's all contextual. It's all, um, you know, informed by so much more than just a table that exists in isolation. But that's just, that's why, coming from the the documentary, that's why the men's rights movement exists yeah because so it's, it's kind of threatening it's the exact same thing as white supremacy yeah so it's threatening of the white race privilege. is what they believe a threatening Threat- of privilege threatening of privilege but what the point is you shouldn't be threatened because the you should not do your best to avoid the privilege well yes but you should notice it for sure but what it should be based on merit like if it's a job position like we're saying it's all hypothetical of course but if going for the job is based on merit in if all was fair you could just get the best candidate okay but i guess that yeah i'm still thinking about that threatening of privilege thing. well i think that's what men's rights comes out of yeah the um, idea that women are going to take what's theirs and then that gets spliced in with the trolls and mm. just people that are sexist but that's privilege in itself like the very kind of idea that this entitlement um, over space, which actually is space, Mm -hmm. but is occupied more by certain types of people. Um, Straight white men. Yes, usually, which then determines, you know, the function and the use of that space, which functions to, you know, obscure anybody else and actually... um, make that space not available so Mm -hmm. whenever anybody else who might not be straight white man and it's not just straight white men with privilege but that's that is a kind of privilege yeah um yeah which functions to then make others completely what's the word excluded yeah downtrodden um, silenced obscured brushed under the carpet um and that's why I'm saying I wonder if that's why I'm saying it's quite difficult with just like a table or just a job because it's about for me anyway the context of that table and the context of that job um yeah yeah um it was ju- I'm just using it as an analogy mm. to explain men's rights mm. and why it exists why they're mad in the first place mad it's, why they're <laughs> shall I stop and <laughs> why they're angry yeah in the first place yeah well mad has two meanings mad's not mad's not insulting to mental health well it's a word mad means angry does it absolutely 
Yeah, I guess a lot of people... Especially in the context I just said it in. Sure, That's why they're mad. We're talking about arguing and trolls. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people use mad to talk about people with mental health problems as well, so I wonder... But which came first? Um, yeah. What's the origin of the word? And either way, language meanings change. They do change depending on... I mean, in America, the word spaz means to, like, flail your limbs a lot. Mm. So they they would describe kids when they're hopped up on sugar mm. as spazzing because they're mm. just running around with lots of energy. Mm. So spaz means high energy. Mm. Whereas here, it's horrific. It's a horrific term. Yes. Because of the spastic society. And same thing with spastic society changing its name to scope. Yep. Because it became an insult. Yes. Which is refreshing that they picked a word that then didn't become an insult. Scope never became an insult. No, it didn't. I've never heard that. No. As a kid. I don't know of that being an insult. No, I've never heard that as an insult. Mm-mm. Yeah. But yeah. words are powerful, bottom line. Yes. <laughs> I can't remember the point I was saying. No, neither before. can I. I'm wondering where that... <coughs> what was I saying? The point was. I, I don't know. talking about men's rights activists. Yeah, I was using that as I think that's why they exist. Yeah. As a, It's a defence mechanism, but it appears silly to me just because I don't think anybody's rights are threatened. I don't think men's rights are threatened. I think... Or what that group represents. I don't feel that they're threatened. I don't know how they feel threatened. Well... They would say I'm ignorant. They would say that. that. I don't understand the threat. But I've never felt the threat. I I literally have never felt... I I do not feel, with however much more sort of women or however many more barriers are removed for women to do certain things, I never feel as though... That's going to get in my way. Although my opinion's now not going to be heard. I'm still a big, straight, white male. Yes. Someone's going to listen. Yes. And if they don't, that probably means it didn't merit listening to. But I sometimes feel like that's... I don't know. From what I see of men's rights activists, and this, I don't know. Like I said, I don't get involved in the No, I don't know enough about them. It's just conjecture. But... From what I see in the way that it kind of plays out on um, social media, mm. is it's it's almost not a like oh this is my space and I'm just threatened by the possibility that there could be a world in which women um, have a voice or mm. in which you know women do have voices. Um, I'm using one right yeah. now. You know, <laughs> of course, yeah. It's not that women don't have voices. Yeah. It's, you know, everybody has voices. It's whether they're heard or not. That's mm-hmm. the problem. And actually, for as long as we say women don't have voices, the longer they will be silenced. So I think it's a uh, yeah. Yeah. twofold thing. Um, so I kind of don't like to use that term of voiceless people or silenced people because actually it's and about... And they will remain silenced. Yes. Ah. Um. But it's not to say that um, it isn't easier for, in particular contexts, for um, women's voices not to be heard. And I think there's a difference yeah. between that. The people that tend to get upset, and it's more prevalent in the race, yeah. the race issue, right? particularly in the States, is um, people who are told that they have this white privilege they don't experience it as far as they're concerned. They don't experience their own privilege. Because they're poor, 
they can't afford anything, they can't keep the lights on, they're not eating, they can't work, they're all of this and all of this and all but this. But that's intersectionality, like, down but, to... But then they're being told that they have it better than anybody else or they have it better than, than this group of people based on their skin colour. And it's very difficult when you can't feed your family to take that step back and see, yeah, maybe. So... But, the, sorry, the point is that so the, the, as far as I understood it, the way I explain white privilege is, mm. if those all of those things apply to you and you can't work and you're poor and, and whatever and you're a different class, yeah. you could put a suit on yeah. and change the way you speak and essentially be a different class. But you Just wouldn't. because you're white, whereas you can't do that if you're black. Why not? Because you're still black. Okay. But and it's still clear, and you'll still get the discrimination you get. But that because it's based on appearance. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it gets that's where the kind of that intersectionality comes in. So we can't understand, you know. And I'm a white woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't talk with experience about being a person of color. No, I don't know why anyone would. No, no, um, you know. Not, kind of feeds into the silencing and the whole thing of actually yeah. there are voices and they're not being heard because other people are speaking for them. Yeah. Um, but that's where I think that intersectional thinking comes in. So for me, that kind of means if we're thinking about race, we don't think about race in isolation. We think about how um, race is, position- is positioned alongside gender so, or, and alongside class, mm-hmm. and alongside culture, and alongside age. Um, so a child of colour is not going to have the same experience as um, an adult of colour, because they're positioned really differently in society. Yeah. Um, the same way in which a child of colour who, um, you know, has, is wealthy, is not going to have the same experience of a child of colour who is not. And so that's where I think it's really difficult to think about the impact of race or culture or gender in isolation. I agree. I like that. Privilege is a thing and it's not it's not mm, just race privilege or just gender not at privilege. All. It's just and I mean, good parent privilege is... Mm, I mean, who raised you is a massive indication of how successful you're going to be or... Well, yes How and no. Yes and no. But I mean, if you take, well, it's a perpetual cycle. Poorness, generally. Yeah. Um, what, what causes that other than the fact that you are poor? But also, that's not who raised you. In terms, but I of, think your parents have a massive impact on who, who you are as a person. But if we think about that kind of individualistic culture and thinking more broadly, it's not necessarily then the parents or the carers or, you know, the person that's has, you know, the person that's responsible for raising the child. It's not necessarily them who carries full responsibility for their No, not full responsibility. Yeah. But massive responsibility. Well, if we think, and and this is where I get quite, this is, I think, it's a really interesting thing to think about. This is where I think it's important to unpack those different positions Mm -hmm. because... On the one hand, yes, there's lots of um, 
you know, media emphasis on parents and parents doing the right thing. And I'm a therapist and I work with kids. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of emphasis in the kind of um, mental health field on parenting and parenting classes and parenting interventions because... And yeah, that doesn't take away from whatever we mean by good, quote unquote, uh, parenting, that that's not impactful. But it does take away from the um, experiences and effects of those broader structures. Yeah. So... um, I think you you can't take away the importance of a parental example. So although there's lots of these other things... Racist people have racist parents most of the time. Not racist always. racist children have racist parents. Not always. Well, what like seven or eight year old do you know that spews about Muslims based on their own opinion? I think um you know? I think it's really important when and this is kind of a kind of intersectional Mm. feminist thing as well and I think age is often obscured when we think about those positions in society yeah you said different different yeah so it's really I think Mm. for me so I do research with children and I Mm -hmm. work with children and I think it's really important not to assume that children just copy what they see no of course not but I mean for example I'll make a sporting example. Mm. So the way I do something, the way I throw and catch, is how my son will throw and catch mm. until learned otherwise. Okay. Yeah. There's no, like... Because otherwise, it wouldn't reflect my behaviour whatsoever. I mean, that's the old idea, isn't it? That he will learn... Mm-hmm. He'll learn how to be... Or how to treat women from his the way his dad treats his mom and how to be treated from the way his mom treats his dad. Or woman and man, whatever, in the in the child's life. Sure. So that kind of learn yeah. by example or, you know, yeah, the behaviourist way of yeah. thinking. Um, but it has to be... That has to come into play. I think that's part... Because otherwise... I mean, you learn things the way you're taught. But if we think as well about those kinds of wider um, social and cultural messages mm-hmm. that actually sit much in a much broad, like in a much broader place than just what parents or caregivers might do, um, and if we think about children's own kind of agency and how they respond to that, yeah, and that they're not just sponges that just absorb no what's going I, I wouldn't on. say they're just yeah. products of who their parents are mm. but it definitely makes a difference i think there's yeah um but i think also so if we think back to that kind of co- emphasis on parents mm-hmm. and um it's kind of parents responsibility to do all of this um I do think that that plays a part in um, obscuring the impact of everything else. Oh, maybe. So, but that doesn't that doesn't mean we should dampen the role parents play. No, but I do think it's potentially unhelpful if um, there are families that or parents that are kind of 
not able to access work or that are experiencing um, a disability or that actually don't have access to the same resources but that others things, do. Those things, to me, to me, obviously you said good parents, mm. there's so many definitions. To me, those things aren't what make you a good parent or a bad parent. Mm. Perhaps not. Access to where you... I mean, you can have a good parent and be economically at the bottom. Yeah. That doesn't... That doesn't it doesn't determine your future economic output, but if you have bad parents, more than chance, I would obviously I've not done the research, just I'm talking out my ass, <laughs> but more than chance, I would say that you know you're more likely to be stuck in that situation again. And speaking from a like, I guess you're a parent, I'm not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I guess I'm kind of my perspective is not based on my own experience of. Being no, well, you're a therapist, so as yeah. well, so it's based on yeah. experience. Yeah, but um, uh, I can't remember what I was going to say. I do. It's like I was saying. I do think um, if we're going to think in a yeah, in a more feminist way or in a more kind of um, intersectional way mm-hmm. about parenting about children about um, experiences of not being in positions of privilege which I think is where that came from yeah I think so um I think yeah. maybe <laughs> not being in positions of privilege it's about actually those positions of privilege are not built up parents don't build the, those no, no. positions I'm of privilege or oppression they're situated like you know in society, they're situated within cultures, they're situated in structures and systems that parents have very little control over. Yeah, I'm not saying parents make those privileges. Mm. I'm saying having good parents is a privilege. Ah, that's an... Yeah, that's an interesting... That's the point I'm saying. Mm. Having a good upbringing, having that positive example around you is a privilege, just like having rich parents is a privilege. Mm. Coming from money is a privilege being white is a privilege all kinds of different positions of privilege yeah yeah there's lots of, and obviously being white is a position of privilege if you're from a country where it is a position of privilege yeah if you're not then it's not yeah you know um, yep if you're south african at the minute it's not mm. that it's not that much of a privilege nope at all mm. <laughs> but you know from the uk and from the us it's mm. a position of privilege mm. the us it's a position of privilege to be Rich in this country, it's a position of privilege to be middle class or upper, mm-hmm. even lower middle class. My goodness. So the upper class aspire. The, the common thing is the upper class aspires to be down. Mm. So they like dress cooler and hang out with the cool kids who are the lower class, the working class kids, and the working class aspire to be upper class. Mm. And the middle class are the only ones that aspire to be up. So. Uh, I think it was uh, <laughs> Callum was saying earlier, like the the only the best people to hang around with are the working class and the upper class, because the middle class are just pretentious. Okay, <laughs> that's uh, interesting. <laughs> that's very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm interested so, in what context that conversation. I can't in. remember. It was a big conversation, but uh, yeah. So the only the only people to hang around with that are any that are cool. I can't remember who said it. That's okay. He, he said someone, someone said it, but. Um, about hanging out with people that are cool. Yeah, the only people you want to hang out with are the upper class and the lower class. And okay, so they can't be too uh, rich or too poor. 
No, you don't want to be the the aspiring upper class, right? Because they're pretentious. Okay. It's the the idea there. The only ones who are genuine are the people who are super wealthy and privileged because of that, and then people who aren't because of that. Whereas the middle tend to pretend that they're upper. I think is the lots of the generalized oh, assumptions. Of course. <laughs> of course, it's just look. It's more of a funny thing than anything. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, <coughs> you can't um, not speak in generalities. Because no one has, I mean, this is very fortunate in that we have as long as you're willing to talk. Mm. So it's difficult to be taken out of context. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, uh, because, I mean, if we are taken out of context, we can just continue to talk until we understand what we're trying to say. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, most things aren't this. Most things aren't hours long conversations. Mm, that's true. So, I mean, how often do you have an hour? How often do you actually sit down with someone and have a long, long conversation? An hour's conversation. Hour, two hours. I'm a therapist. <laughs> That's not work. <laughs> That's not work. That's not therapy. Um, how often do you just sit down with someone and talk about stuff? Anything? I love sitting down with someone and talking about stuff. Well, you're different then. You do that all the time. Uh-huh. But most people... <laughs> oh, most I don't people, get to do that all the time. Um but it's one of my favorite things to do. But and the thing is, from the way podcasts are blowing up, that's what a lot of people's favorite things is. Yeah, is to listen to those conversations. Yeah, I just because they're they're genuine. They're not edited. They're unscripted. They're actual conversations. Yeah, like they like I when I listen to podcasts, I like when things happen and the audio quality. Like you hear the chair creak, or someone drops something, or someone has to run out and go to the toilet, <laughs> and there's like two minutes of just the one person trying yeah. to and talking to the producer or whatever because it's real and it's raw i know and i just but just like think about the way that our lives are structured in a way that doesn't allow necessarily for this kind of thing to happen or for those kinds of dialogues and conversations and you know for those spaces to happen and how actually for me anyway I have to work quite hard just to carve out time that enables for that to happen. Mm. Um, And I think there's something about the the way that our kind of lives are um, regulated in that kind of way, in that kind of must be doing this, must be doing that, got to be doing this, got to be shown. Yeah, we always have to be doing something. Got to show. Or look like we're doing something, yeah. Well, yeah, but got to show, like, you know, evidence that I'm doing this and I'm busy and my life has meaning and purpose because I'm, you know, mm. busy. And I think it's it's it can actually be quite a challenge in a lot of ways to, number one, um, create space for this kind of thing. Or for me, it's going for coffee or a gin. Gin's good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> going for coffee or gin. And just... Um, you know, not having it regulated and, uh, you know, controlled in that kind of way. Yeah. Um, and number two, it's about actually taking up space, um, literally taking up space in a way that usual, usual, quote unquote, I don't want to, you know, create this normative assumption around what people's normal lives are, but um, it's about taking up space in a way that is for you and isn't 
meeting another agenda. That's really hard to do. And I think particularly, well, not just for women, but there is an issue, there is a kind of something to say about people that don't or that aren't in positions of privilege all of the time to be able to take up space, to have that space available or to use the space in creative ways. Is that because uh, sort of then you get a reputation of a negative, so you get the negative connotation? So, for example, if a man is outwardly speaking in a meeting, he's mm. being strong or assertive, and if a woman does it, she's being a bitch or a cow <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Something, yeah, so in like a you know work meeting or a... a meeting like that yeah. yeah there's something around the meeting being built around allowing vocal space or physical space for men to speak up more than it would be yeah for even if it's the same behavior yeah oh yeah 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 um there was a i can't remember who did it or what it was but there was a study done into that which was like women making exactly the same like you know behavioral choices and um, using the same mannerisms and body language and language but they were still not um, heard in the same way that men were um, but I'm also talking about just how we live our lives um, and how actually taking up space and creating that time is uh, well, in some ways a privilege but yeah, well, yeah. You, you have to be financially able to do that. Yes, you do. Yeah, in some ways, and that is a privilege. Um, but in other ways, um, yeah, there's something about being creative about how that's done as well. Um, uh, for me, that boils down a lot to just doing something you enjoy doing. Yeah. And it's far easy to create space. Sorry, it's far easy to create space if you're not tired. Oh, my goodness, yes. You know? Yes, it is. Um, and it, yeah, it's about having having the resources that enable you to do that, yeah. and also the kind of relationships that enable you to do that too. Um, yeah, you're more tired if you're in like a dog shit job. Well, a job you hate, even if it's something someone else would cherish. If it's something that you dislike, mm. you know, you just want to go home and be a vegetable in front of the television. You don't. You don't want to. It's very difficult to work eight nine hours on something you hate doing, and then go home and work for yourself. Yeah. And do something that you want to do. Yeah, because it's all work in different kinds of ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my urge would be. Do what you want to do. Now there are constraints. When when, uh, my son was born, mm. I did a job I didn't want to do. Yeah because I have to provide. Mm. And I found a way to get a job I quite enjoy doing mm. and still provide. Mm. Most people don't have that, but mm. it was a leap of faith for me to take that. Mm. Whatever, it may fail sometimes. Mm. But the point is, it was ballsy. Again, we've got <laughs> I like how you're calling yourself <laughs> out. <laughs> it was ballsy. But you see, because <laughs> that word is important to have a meaning like that. So what are the words? <laughs> what other word could I use for ballsy? Brave? I don't want to say brave. I was thinking brave. I don't want to say brave because it's not brave. Brave is firefighters is brave. Military is brave. It's not brave taking a gamble and getting a job. It's brave to take a gamble. I mean, is it? 
I wasn't I wasn't in danger of death. I wasn't okay. saving people. I wasn't putting myself at danger of or you know, I wasn't speaking out against something that makes me appear like a knob. But you took another, another oh, word. <laughs> you know? Okay, but you took a risk. Yeah, but it's not brave. Brave's a bit strong, is why I use ballsy. Brave's a little bit strong. So, uh, we're not going to use brave to define you then. No, that's, that was, that's too strong for what I did. I, I just made a choice to try and get something that would uh, make me happy in yeah. doing it. And, and also give me the opportunity to provide yeah. for my family. There's this sort of weird, and it may be cultural, but there's this weird sort of um, feeling you get when you... I can only talk about being a dad. I don't know what it's like to be a mom. Neither do this, I. But there's this. <laughs> but there's this <laughs> don't weird. Don't know what that's like. There's this weird feeling you get when you have a have a, a child that all of a yeah. sudden, like your ambitions, at least for me, my ambitions just like took a another hit. Work ethic took a hit up. Right. Because it, it was just like like this this little guy like needs to understand like he needs to. I need to feed him. Mm. Okay, he completely depends on me. He's yeah. useless by himself. He just wriggles. <laughs> so you get this this urge to to make things happen. Right. And very quickly, I found I had less time for small talk. Yeah. Very very quickly, I was just like, ah, it's a waste of time. I've got stuff to do. Yeah, I never do small talk, and I don't even have a child. Like, yeah. small talk is not a thing. Yeah, I was life. just wondering if that's just because. Because it was noticeable that it was after right. after he was born. Yeah. Not so much when um, through the pregnancy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But as soon as he was born, it was like, you know, okay, I've got to get moving. I've right. got to get something going. Mm. I don't know if it's cultural because I felt I had to be the provider. Well, that's interesting, though. What? That's interesting. And I guess I, I, I don't know what that would be for you. I guess you would know what that was I don't know. for you. I don't know. It was just strange that I noticed that. And yeah. I'm, I'm not alone in noticing that. A lot of people experience similar things. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, you sort of... Yeah, I don't know. And you, obviously you get this protective thing, which in terms of evolution, people would say was biologically determined. I'm not an evolutionary person. But many people would say it's biologically determined yeah. that you to protect your children right sexual genetics yeah and obviously you'd want to do that anyway right but the idea then that it's like uh ryan reynolds you know the actor ryan reynolds yeah he um made a statement about his daughter being born yeah it was like before before uh, his daughter was born he'd die for his yeah wife yeah uh, and he said then after she was born i would use her as a human shield to protect the baby right so it's like you just get that. Uh-huh. Like I would die for you and you just gave my gave birth to my child mm-hmm. and I would use you as a shield to protect <laughs> the child. Yeah. Like it's um, that's that level of protection. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But then, you know, does he think that way because his society is constructed so that he's supposed to think that way as a man? So he's forced to think that way. Well Or is it a genetic is there a genetic thing that he wants to protect his genetics? I mean, me, you know, different people will tell you different things. For me, um, there's something important about not um, 
yeah, not assuming that all parents are man, woman, and that, you know, the man is the protector and the woman no. is the human child no. or whatever. Um, but in that example, it is a man and a woman. In that example, it's a man and a... And in mine, it is. And in yours, it is. Yep. And in mine, I have no child, so no, yeah. you know, no experience of needing to protect an, off, an offspring, a child of my own. But, um, yeah, I guess, you know, my perspective is that I, I, I don't think in terms of evolutionary arguments. And so the, he's socially constructed to think as a man he's supposed to be the protector. Well, yeah, if I'm going to think in terms of those kinds of constructions of parents and about the gendered aspect of that, then sounds potentially that way. Um, but... Yeah, I think it's really important not to normalise that kind of, yes, the man's going to be the protector and the woman's going to be the kind of carer and the caregiver and Yeah, and well, that. I mean, that's damaging, isn't it, to normalise anything like that? Mm. I mean, firstly, then, because it makes you feel other mm-hmm. if you are not that way. Yes, it does, yeah. So if, if a man feels like the... The, the nurturer mm. the traditional mum's role and she feels like the providing the breadwinning the mm. whatever well there are both, lots of both families will feel, where that's of course yeah absolutely there are both happens. where there are lots of families where both parents are nurturers mm-hmm. there are lots of families where they have one parent yep so that one parent is all yeah. I and mean, I came from that example that, that so from the age of nine I came from that yeah so there's lot, and there's families that don't have traditional gender identities. Yep. Or traditional. See, I don't like that term either. Traditional. Hmm. Why not? I don't. Know. <laughs> I mean, it's better than saying normal. Yeah, it is. I think there's something about recognizing the kind of histories and. Yeah. I do a kind of quote-unquote traditional thing yeah. because. I mean, it is better than normal for sure. Yeah, because what we're talking about, I think, are just those kinds of historical assumptions that are tied to what families look like or what couples look like and what having a child looks like and, you know, how families are constructed. But do you see the fuss that gets kicked up if you do something else? So if, like, you have a... You've seen the Tesco advert? Yes. The fuss that's kicked up if you do something that's not in this traditional narrative mm. is not an appropriate response to nope. the to the thing that happened. So, for example, if you have a, a Pampers advert mm-hmm. and the parents are both male or both female mm. or two transgender parents or mm. one transgender parent, mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. um the fuss that would be kicked up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because yeah. it's well, not quote-unquote traditional or normal, which is a damaging thing to say. Yeah, it is. And the kind of argument that comes into that looks like it's often about, oh, well, we don't want children to be exposed to, you know, anything that's going to be distressing for them. They don't care, um, though. No, they don't notice any of that don't. stuff. No, and yeah. that's the problem. We the, well, the problem's not even about the concern that children are going to be distressed because they are exposed to something that's not quote-unquote normal. That's not the problem. The problem is that um, that 
anything other, so anything that's not that kind of norm, is kind of like pathologized and viewed as something that is distressing. It's not that people are genuinely worried that that would distress kids. It's that that pushes away at their own privilege. It kind of taps, it kind of knocks on the door. It kind of pushes through there. It's, it, it, yeah, it, it's a way of kind of just destabilizing a ground that might have previously been pretty stable and holding that privilege. That's what I think it is. I don't think it's genuinely that people think that's going to distress kids. Sometimes I think people are outraged for the sake of it. Do you think? I think so. So outraged at the Tesco advert. I mm. don't care who's in the advert. Mm. I, d- I couldn't care less. It doesn't make a difference. Are we talking about the Muslim family? Yeah. yeah. The, 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 it was kicking up a big fuss about... Yeah. Uh, people were saying things like the Islam- Islamization, which I didn't know is, oh, was goodness. a word. I don't think it is a word, but Islamization of Christmas. That's not even what occurred in the advert. No. It just came it's, in the door. I think it's... But I think they're bored. I think it's too easy to live. I don't know. If we call it boredom, it kind of takes away from actually what can be quite violent attacks on... No, I'm, I don't... I don't... I'm not saying... If you say... I don't think saying that, that <clears throat> they're bored... Yeah. So it makes the behaviour okay. It's like a response to being bored. Mm-hmm. I don't think that. I think they're bored, so they create drama. And that creating that drama reveals their bigotry and their racism. So the the issues of the bigotry and the racism, mm. or the sexism, whatever mm. it may be. But that, and it's actually kind of a good thing that it's revealed. That's the only benefit most people think of with Trump. Mm. That now oh God. the <laughs> racists have taken their hood off. So now you can see who they are and how many of them there are. Yeah, but I don't think it's drama. And I don't, I don't like... For me, and maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe, you know, sometimes my siblings will be like, oh, you take things too seriously, Tanya. And I'm like, oh, yes, but it kind of is serious. Like, Yeah, but I mean, from the other side. So those are outraged that there are what appears to be a Muslim family in a Tesco advert. Yeah. Those people, I'm saying, are bored. Or they've got nothing going on in their own life. So they start some shit on Twitter. But I think it's kind of also a, a kind of symptom of those structures of racism and intolerance for difference. And any, you know, it's that kind of, it's, I think it's, if we call it like boredom or drama, okay, it might be people who. I don't know, might be bored, but they don't do that because they're bored. Doesn't that let them off the hook a little bit if you're saying that they're racist because of, you know, societal structures is what makes them racist. I think they should they should, you know, be held more account to their actions. They are racist. Okay, it was a reason. Yeah. What do you think? I have real trouble with just individualizing and holding single people accountable. And I think, you know, it's really important that we're all accountable for the things we do and the things we say. But, you know, I'll always, I will always catch myself out or do something or say something that 
has come uh, from upbringing and social things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I Take into account. If we just individualise those comments or the people who we think might be bored, then we're not paying attention to the real issues that need to change. Is that... Yeah, no, I, no, I understand. Is. No, I kind of agree. But it, to me, it just sort of re- removes the free will a little bit from that. You it know? does. It removes you it slightly. It's almost like it's okay to be racist because you're from rural Missouri and you've never seen a person of colour. But it's not like we're saying it's okay. But it's like Sorry that to rural Missouri. Go on. Go on. No, it's not like we're saying it's okay, but it's like that. You know that analogy of um, sticking a plaster over like a, a wound or something? Yeah, yeah. The cut doesn't go away. Just the plaster's kind of covering up for a little while. You take it off, it's still there. Actually, it might have got worse because you didn't pay attention to it. So, like, re- outing the racists and removing the racists doesn't solve the problem of creating more racists. No, because they're still, no. they will still be there. But should we those... still out them? Should we still inform people of their ignorance? Or do we just... I mean, and the other thing is, how on earth do we treat that cut? If you think about that cut, though, and I don't know how appropriate it is, it is to call racist kind of attitudes but it's just anyway we're analogy. going we're yeah, going with it's it fine. said it now <laughs> i'm sure i'll listen back and think tanya that was a terrible analogy uh, no for it's reason. fine for analogy it makes sense but if you think about it if you cover up a cut with a plaster you're not looking at it you're not even going back to the thing that caused the cut and thinking about fixing that but how do we do that how do we fix well, that well exactly it's easier to put a plaster on Right, so it's easier okay, to the plaster's attack. right there. It's easier to just be like, right, cover it up. And actually, the cut might get worse. It might get infected, but we won't know because we're not going to look at it. And we're definitely not going to go back and look at that big sticking out wire thing that caused the cut in the first place because it's okay, we can cover the cut up. So is Trump opening the plaster so we can see the cut? Oh God. I mean, he's definitely I mean, not going to be able to solve the cut, but can we see it better? He... Because he just says whatever's on his mind. Like, no president has ever done that in the history of politics, I ever. still... He um, just says whatever he's thinking. I still... I still <laughs> cannot believe... It's crazy, ...that right? he is the president <laughs> yeah. of the United States of America. I cannot believe that. And I still can't watch TV or listen to the radio and genuinely take it seriously. Have you seen him drink water? Yeah. So weird. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I just, I just, I mean, that's part of this, but it's also, and it, no, it is, it's an, it's inherently part of this. I don't even know where Trump fits. Part of me wants to say he's the bloody wire that caused the cut in the first place, but he's not. No. Um, he's a sim- maybe he's a symptom. He is, but he's a very powerful symptom. Not for sure. And he's yeah. creating his own bloody wires that are cutting everyone and yeah, literally. The, and they just done like a hunting Trophy hunting is oh, allowed please. now, right? The yes. elephants. Yeah. Yeah. They've lifted the ban on And the ivory. big thing with the environmental... Yeah. Well, I don't know what they're called in America, but the Environmental Protection Agency, I guess, for They've them... They've taken themselves out of some kind of... Oh, that... Yeah, no, that as well. But then yeah. there's the, there's the there's an internal thing in the States that uh, manages the land. 
Yes. So it keeps animals a population so they don't freeze to death and starve to death and right. kill each yeah. other and stuff. And he's like sort of removing their power. He's removing. And so the selling of American public land. Yeah. Which is what America is great for. Yeah. The fact that its land is owned by its people. And he's Stolen, also... <laughs> he's... Oh, God. Well, the whole thing of, like, Obamacare and not believing in global warming. <laughs> and, you know, you don't believe in scientific evidence. Okay. He was a truther. <sighs> yeah, but, which like... Which was that Obama was not American. Oh, he was the main guy. <laughs> but, you know, Obamacare is actually not that unpopular. It's not... Mm. Th- sorry, did I just kick you? Sorry. Yeah, I think we both have long legs. Yeah. <laughs> quite I'll long move to the well. side, yeah. Um, the bill is not called... Uh, Obamacare mm. it's called something else some health care bill mm. but it's known as Obamacare almost as a smear yeah. campaign yeah um, the bill itself so it's quite funny it's, I can't remember the st- I wish I knew the reference of the study but uh, essentially people were polled whether they support Obamacare or mm. the actual name of the bill right oh. and the approval ratings yeah. for the actual name of the bill were way yeah. higher than Obamacare and it's literally because it's called Obamacare yeah. that people are hating it yeah. So, I mean, the way to solve that is to just call it Trump Care. I call mean, the original thing Trump Care. I don't want anything with Trump's name on it. Everything uh, has his name on it. God. Planes, buildings. <laughs> I know. I just, you know, for a person who is so... He just embodies this kind of sexism, ableism, you know, all of the isms he embodies... This guy does straight talking, right? Yeah, in a time where he, you know, normalises that locker room, quote-unquote, banter, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Talks about just, grabbing. I don't want to interrupt you, but oh. I, as an athlete, have never been in a locker room where any of that goes on. There's no sexist talk in a locker room. Not with real athletes. Oh, I see. There may be some things that feminists wouldn't be happy with. Uh, and okay. as there will be many things that other people of whatever wouldn't be happy with, but that's literally uninformed people talking about stuff. Okay, so, so if you're uninformed on a, on a subject, you're going to talk shit. But there is no, you know, you just grab them by the pussy. They just let you. There's none of that. Well, that might not happen in locker rooms, but it does happen in a lot of other spaces. Yeah, but but that, but that it, it's saying, oh, it's locker room talk, as in then saying, oh, it's okay. That's that's what got me there because I don't mean to interrupt you, um, <laughs> because um. Like, that's not how people speak. And as soon as he said locker room talks, lots of athletes came up and were like, mm, nope, never happened. Been so it might be mislabeling what happens Absolutely. in locker rooms. It's, but trying it's, to, it's trying to make it okay by saying, oh, it's a guy thing. It's a, it's a sports locker room thing. I'm an athlete. He doesn't work out, so it, he's never been in a locker room. It's not no, a locker room thing. but he is a man with an incredible amount of power. supposed to be a man's power. man, right? Yeah. Um, and so all of the kind of Hollywood sexual abuse that, that's, you know, we're hearing more and more about. Out, yeah. um, and also, you know, in in spaces that aren't Hollywood as well, men's kind of violence against women and those um, comments yeah. around, okay, we just grab women by the pussy or not even those comments, but just the way in which spaces, relationships, public-private spaces kind of are 
that happens in so many different mm. spaces. And my one of my biggest concerns and one of the reasons why I still can't wake up in the morning to a Trump-led world, basically, is that he just actively embodies all of that and therefore in some ways makes it okay and it's not it's not okay but he you know my my research is about domestic violence mm -hmm. um which usually is men's violence against women yeah um oh and i just have huge problems with someone like well with that embodiment having so much power um and for that not to for that not to be a thing that's that's really called out or and i know that there are lots of you know well he's not even allowed to visit the uk at the moment is he is he still banned as far as i know yeah and i know that there were like the women's marches and mm -hmm. and everything as a kind of response or reaction or resistance to him i wish those pussy hats looked more like <laughs> pussies though <laughs> like I'd wear a legit one that looks like like you know the the things you make at the Powers at Powers yeah, yeah yeah I've got one um, in my office but they're pretty much just pink hats aren't they they're not really yeah unless there were some were there actually some genuine I think there might like, have been hats? I think there might have been I'm sure I saw some pictures I'd of wear some one pretty of them good for the winter they look I've, warm yeah <laughs> I mean I have two I've got one that I made at Powers and I've got one oh no both no yeah one that I got from Powers I did say I actually. Uh, when Charlotte was here, that we should get some cunting. Cunting, yes. And put it up, because <laughs> I just love that term. I think it's cool. <laughs> well, yeah, it would be fantastic. That would be an example of taking up space. Reclaiming the word. Reclaiming space. <clears throat> yes, I have a nice little fen felted vagina on my uh, office and a nice, nice felted vagina on my car keys. Would it look strange if I had that, though? No. Wouldn't it be sort of... Wouldn't it look as though I'm objectifying... Would it look as though I'm objectifying women? Yeah. I mean, would you would it feel strange having it? No. There you go. But would it would it look, would it appear as though I was sexualizing it because I'm a man? Well, I wouldn't think that way. I wouldn't think that you were sexualizing women by wearing a felted vagina on your shirt. <laughs> uh, feel free to do that. But would I if it was an actual picture of a vagina? I mean, try it. I know, I'm okay. I'm you can, can't come to work. You can with... borrow my my felted vagina. has a little, like, pin on the back. You can pin it to your shirt for a week and see what happens. Oh, see what people say. That would be yeah. interesting. Like, yeah. I mean, it... my assumption, my guess, is that people would probably say, oh, what's that? Then you could talk about it. Then I'd have it. to explain there it. There you yeah. go. Hmm. That, is that part of, part of doing it that way? Like a shock factor. Shock. It's not shock, is it? I guess. But well, yeah, sort of a what's that? The that reason... looks like a... The reason, I mean, there are loads of reasons why we felted vaginas. Um, and one of them is that actually one assumption, well, one response, yeah, might be shock. There is a vagina that I have right here. Yeah. Um, and people don't talk about it. People don't talk about vaginas. Uh, and so talking about them actually is okay because they're not something to, you know, be ashamed of or no. to treat as you know, something that should not be spoken about. Actually, yeah, let's let's have a space and talk about it. And so... That comes back to your, the, the thing you said earlier about 
you know, if you want to, you're not going to speak on being a person of colour because you're not one. Hmm. I won't speak on what it's like being a woman because, because I've, I've never not. been one. Okay, yeah. Um, and I can't see into the future, but I can't imagine that I will ever be a woman. No. I, I don't have that desire to be a woman. Sure. Yeah, and so I can't speak. So I won't speak on it. So I, I can't say that. Ah, oh, no one, no one says anything about female genitalia. No one's ever felt shame about genitalia. Yeah. Because I've never had shame about genitalia. Because I've had a powerful genitalia. Yeah. If that makes sense. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay. Horrendous, I can't believe you just <laughs> horrendous thing to say. But I've you had just said that <laughs> privileged genitalia. <laughs> you do. You have penis it's, privilege. I have penis <laughs> privilege. There you go. <laughs> I'm privileged to be a man. I, I like being a man. It's great. Well, I am glad. I like being a woman. That's cool. Um, And I don't have penis privilege. It's great to be happy in your own skin. There is... Which is why transphobia is harmful, isn't it? Very. Um, But there is... I mean... Oh, gosh. Being happy in your own skin. Then, like... Or someone else's skin. If you have a skin graft. Well, that's true. Yes. Um, I think... Oh, yeah. but then there's there's uh, transracial. What do you think about that? Do you think that's a thing? Or do you think that's... That's a Do you think that's too far? I find it quite difficult to um, comment on. Really do, because... Um, you don't have to say anything polarising. You can just say, I don't know, if you, if you because I don't know. No, it's... But, I mean, you can like black culture and not be transracial. You yeah. can just be part of that culture. You can like Filipino culture and be part of that culture. But to say, I feel like a Filipino man. I mean, what does that feel like? Aren't we all the... I don't know. I mean, it's about... It's about kind of what you identify with. And I do. I find it really difficult because I am in a position of privilege, like... What would it be I'm like a woman. To, yeah. I identify with being a woman. What would it be like to to identify with being Filipino if you weren't Filipino? Mm. What would that feel like? Well, again, like I don't identify with being Filipino. Um, I'm white. Yeah, and so I'm you a woman. can't. I don't. Can't I don't, speak on it. Yeah, it, I find it. it <sighs> it's tough. It is. It is, and I feel like again. It's that thing of um, I am all for um, choice. I'm all for autonomy. Yeah, I'm be whoever you all want. All for that. Yeah, hundred um, percent. But I'm also I don't know. I, choice, autonomy, hundred percent important. I'm not sure where I sit. I think. We should be able to be whatever you want. Do whatever you want to do. If Just you, all be free. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to, if you want to change your gender, do it. Yes. If you want to change whatever, do it. I mean, you, we've been able to change our names for yeah. how long? Yeah. Why not just... Well, just be yeah. nice to each other. That's my thing. Be, <laughs> be nice to each other. Just, just everyone be nice. Everything's so horrible. People are so offended, and and because someone's offended, it sort of gives you the right to just go over the top and mm. say horrible things and call for people's jobs for the like small little things they may have done, rather mm. than educate, trying to shut each other up. It just doesn't yeah. work. 
But again, it's like I said, I we live in such an individualistic culture which perpetuates that um, process of blame mm-hmm. and shame as well. But we're still a bit tribal, though, don't you think? I mean, I mean that because the way I see it is, if if I under if I ask you your stance on one political thing. Mm. That should not enable me to predict your stance on everything else. No. But unfortunately it does. Yeah. So on some level, we're still super tribal. Yes. So that's, I mean, me and Charlotte spoke about the bad bits of feminism, where Mm. perhaps it doesn't communicate correctly. Mm. In terms of that tribalism. Yeah, so it comes off as, um, like, team woman. Mm. You know? Yeah, it so does. women in in all things, even if the woman is wrong in that, whatever, depending on what wrong is. But that's where I think it's really important to differentiate between that. Um, what's hmm, what's the word that you use? You said it like about men's rights activists. Oh yeah, superiority. That's the word. Um, yeah, they're worried that females are going for a, or yeah. women are going for. A, woman's superiority, superiority over yeah. any anyone so to, else to flip it the other way around they're worried it, they're going to try and flip it yeah but that's where i think it's really important to move from that way of thinking um i mean i don't really know people that think in that way uh but no i've never seen that yeah that's why it doesn't i'm not my rights aren't in question no i don't i don't understand men's rights they're just rights well not a downtrodden group men we're not no but if we think about that kind of i didn't also notice that and this might be offensive to say but i don't care that the men in the men's rights tend to be pretty beta they're not Mm. alpha males (coughs) they just appear to hate women Mm. and again it might just be the way that documentary is Mm. Mm. i don't have any personal conversations with men's rights activists Mm. One can come on here, is welcome to come on here. Oh my goodness, it's been an interesting conversation. And talk. Uh, I'll know for sure you and Charlotte will be listening. Oh my God, it'll be a very interesting conversation. I don't know, I think that tribalism versus individualism, I don't, I don't always think that we live in a society that's yeah, in some ways it's tribal, but like you said, you can't assume everything about somebody just because of, I don't know, the the way that they vote. No, no. But the the problem though is when people say, you know, I'm a I'm I'm a so in America people are saying, you know, I'm a democrat. Mm. On everything? Yeah. I mean that doesn't make sense. You, you you've not you can't have read everything if that's mm. the case. Mm. If you're or I'm just a whatever, I'm a republican. On everything, mm-hmm. you're you're whatever they say, and their mm-hmm. opinion changes. Mm. I mean, Hillary Clinton didn't support gay marriage mm. until 2011, right? Yep. Yep. What? <laughs> 2011. I know. I mean, you, you I can't be just one side. You have to understand the, the what's going on. I don't think you can just say, you know, I'm this or that. I think that's tribal. I think, think, yeah, but I think it's also like a symptom of, yes, we live in an in an individualistic kind of society, but mm-hmm. also in a very divided society, which um, 
But are we divided like in our own little bubbles? So there's a bubble of the left and there's a bubble of the right and there's a bubble of this alt-right and I think so. I think, I mean, my experience of um, what happens around election time is that I don't surround myself with people that have massively different political views to me. And so... That's bad though, isn't it? Well... Because then you, you're only ever preaching to the converted or being preached I'm to. not preaching, though. That's or what being I mean. Or, pre- or, like, or, yeah. that's not what I do. It's just, <coughs> you know, the people that I spend time with. Is that um, just by chance? or you, Because, I mean, I have friends that are conservative. Yeah. I just, I mean, I don't use Facebook anyway because I hate how <laughs> many words people can write. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I have friends that are conservative and I disagree with the things they say politically a lot of the time, but it doesn't... I mean, it's com- compartmentalised. I me. think... It, it doesn't mean I can't be their friend. No, of course, and I think I've having... got friends that say really dumb shit too. Yeah. I don't hold them accountable to that all the time, you know, it's... Mm. No, I think having conversations and, you know, diversity of opinions and views is life. Never share 100% with anybody. Um, But I also think this kind of divisive, you know, Brexit, for example, it it does in some ways perpetuate the kind of permission in some senses for um, assumptions, attitudes, behaviours like um, racist attitudes or sexist to come out because if you're identifying or if you kind of assign yourself to being part of a particular, I don't know political way of thinking Mm -hmm. and you see the person in power having those views. Normalises it. Yes. In some senses it kind of enables that right to happen um so i don't know i get what you're saying about the tribalism but i, but also I mean that's a tribe in itself isn't it yes those people saying you know it normalizes it so they're all a group of people that have these attitudes. yeah yeah but i also think if that kind of individualism or that individual individualistic way of thinking it's like um so in the work that I do, not teaching here, but um, with the therapy work that I do, I think that's kind of like, in some senses, prime example of individualizing what are actually problems that are much bigger than one person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love my work. But also, if we single out one person and send them to a therapist or wherever, and that's not to deny distress or difficulties, but in some senses, it is a process of identifying one person as being the problem or a problem and assuming that working with just that one thing can fix the whole thing. When no, That's no. not the way that yeah. the world functions. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, fixing the... And that's the cut and the plaster thing. It is. That makes sense. But I just don't see how we address the cut. Maybe I'm just not smart enough to see a reason around it. But I don't see how we address uh, 
these issues? Well, yeah. How do you, how do you counteract hundreds, maybe thousands of years of... Histories and histories. Of, yeah. Yeah. Oppression. And, and I think that's it. You can't change what's already happened. Yeah. And... That's another thing about uh, white privilege, right? Mm. Another way I explain it is the Irish... Mm. have white privilege despite having previously been slaves mm -hmm. because they can pretend not to be Irish Yes. so you can pretend not to be of Irish descent I yes. mean I've got a ginger beard so it's obvious <laughs> but I have fully ginger hair you've got ginger hair so it's <laughs> I'm not aware that I'm Irish though <laughs> well I, mean, I am I, I did the genealogy thing oh did you I would love to do that I thought it would be something interesting I felt like oh yeah like some Nordic something yeah no, no Irish. just all Ireland oh Scotland circled the whole thing <laughs> So, yeah, it's a ginger beard. Uh. So, yeah, that's where it comes from. It's yeah. like 1%, uh, or like 2 3% something silly, Nor Norway. Denmark, well, you've got a bit of Nordic in there. Something. Uh huh. Some, I just thought, because I'm tall, yeah. it's got to be something, right? Yeah. But no, I'm Celt, 100%. Uh. Pretty much. It was boring. I thought it would be interesting. That's not boring. I thought, because you, you, you want to do it and you get loads of different countries. Yeah. Like, How cool is that? Look, it's like Sub-Saharan African or whatever. You see some like stuff that you just didn't expect. Nope. <laughs> Scottish. Oh, God. <laughs> Irish. <laughs> I mean, Scotland is great. Um, <laughs> oh, it's awesome, yeah. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I just didn't expect to be so close to home. I'm sorry, you were uh, disappointed. <laughs> disappointed in my own <laughs> genes. But you know what? It didn't matter. I mean, all it showed me is that, you know, I mean, what is it? It's going to be different kinds of people like it doesn't it makes no yes. inform it doesn't inform my behavior in any kind of way no but <laughs> i think like the bigger thing is you know being aware or not of our histories and yeah. where we come from and what that means so who we are and maybe for you and i that's not um, so much of a big kind of impactful thing because it's not something that affects our everyday existence in the world because we live in a westernised context yeah. in which we are in some senses very much quote-unquote the norm um, yeah well I mean we can I mean there's, there's no way of knowing that I am Scottish and Irish no that's the white privilege I can pretend not to be but even if you are Scottish or Irish... It doesn't make a difference. It's not an oppressive thing. Uh -uh. Um, and that was that's how I, I explain it. Like, a white person mm. can pretend not to be uh, a minority mm. or not to be oppressed. Mm. You can pretend not to be poor. You just need a nice suit, even if someone else has to pay for it. Whereas, you know, if you're a person of colour... Mm you're not afforded that right of pretending. But things... You shouldn't have to pretend, but you're not afforded the right of being able to. No, and I guess there are some things that are more easily masked than others. So, like, yeah. our appearance. Yeah, and that, that's hide. that's that's we, how it, that's you know, the way I explain it to people that don't understand it, just that it's obvious. Yeah, but you there are also... Because it's not just... <coughs> about appearance no there's loads it's that not go just into about it. the bodies that we live in it's just how i use it to explain if someone still in 2017 doesn't understand the concept <laughs> which is a lot because some yeah. people are talked past yeah or a lot of people are afraid to come out and say i don't understand can you explain this to me yeah because they're labeled every word under the sun 
The left eats their own. Mm. So they and the right is come this way, super welcoming. Mm. Come to the alt right, mm. where uh, you know, oh, it's political correctness gone mad, which mm. is a silly term in the first place. Mm. But the left is eating their own, and I'm just watching it, and it makes me sad mm. <laughs> that liberal ideas are consuming other liberals. In what way? In the way that people are afraid to talk, people are bastardized for the things they say to the point where, like, the people who are liberal trolls on Twitter mm. have been attacked mm-hmm. as being sexist and bigots mm-hmm. and racists mm. and have gone the other way. Mm-hmm. And it's because the the goal of some people, I'm not generalizing, of course, but the goal of some people is to be the most outraged Mm. recreational outrage Mm -hmm. the goal is to be offended as a hobby and to check people right it becomes a game internally and internally i'm sure it's fun but externally the right is building that's the issue the externally you're fueling the fire and the symptom of that fire is donald trump (laughs) that's why he gets those votes the symptom of calling people every name under the sun for believing a certain way or for even saying the wrong thing, or for mm. whatever. Rather than educating, you don't beat you don't beat bad ideas by censoring them. No. You beat bad ideas with better ideas. Racism is wrong. Here is why. Not racism is wrong. Shut up, or I'll punch you. Because then they go to the side that won't punch them, mm. which is the right, <laughs> specifically the alt right. So if we go back to the idea that you can hide in some way mm-hmm. a kind of external appearance yeah of you can pretend privi- your own position. pretend you're privileged can you you because can if you want privilege is privilege something that is a- an external appearance or is it something that's internalized Both. and part of um, an identity construction because that isn't always something that's but that's like what we're saying with parents that's why I'm uh-huh. saying it's both because your parents are part of your identity construction so is where you live where you're from but if you're able to transcend those things mm. you can pretend as though you're not from a place of lack of privilege because you're white you have, you're afforded the privilege of being able to pretend as though you've been privileged your whole life yeah, so if I you have white privilege you can so it's almost like I'm thinking out loud. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> so, so am I. It's interesting. Sense, I'm kind of maybe like being. So if everyone has a degree, well, let's say if privilege is a spectrum, right? Yeah. So everyone has a degree of privilege. Well, my understanding is privilege is not necessarily a spectrum, but it's contextual. So in this room now. There's you and there's I, and um, am I privileged because I have the power to turn you off? Well, you do have the power to turn me <laughs> off, but I can still keep talking. Yeah, but no one will hear you. Uh huh. So that's your position of power. So if we think about privilege as being based on power relations right. in particular contexts, based on all of those different positionings, mm-hmm. so. You're a man, I'm a woman. Yeah. We're both white. Mm-hmm. 
but there were also all of the different like you know age comes into there ability comes into there our kind of you do have more ability than me for sure what do you mean just everything <laughs> well <laughs> i'm talking about take the compliment <laughs> But what I'm talking about yeah. is like disabilities. Right, okay. Um, oh, I didn't mean that. I meant like proficiency. Woof. No, you got it. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. One sense, okay, cool. I'll take that. But on the other sense... Take it, you're winning. It's fine. I'll take that. I'm winning. <laughs> cool. But okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, th- you know, there are all kinds of different ways in which we're positioned in society. Yeah. The position that maybe in one context that might make me in more of a position of privilege in comparison to you and therefore I might be in more of a position of power but we're not we're in this context um Mm -hmm. and you're right you can switch off my mic and then therefore no one would hear me Mm -hmm. but also we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for me here if I you know I'm the one that said yes and I'm the one that's turned up um so there's also a kind of power that I have here too and I'm the one that's talking as well as you so does that make sense so but it depends on access to the audience depends on on the podcast which is controlled by me that is true so it's about power yeah so we each have our own kind of power yeah in the same situation we each have an element of power right and we'll you know, together mm-hmm. in this space, work yeah. out how we how we do that, right. which would be different in this space, in this room at this university than it would if we were down the road, like having a gin, mm-hmm. um, because this context is different. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, it's about more than just okay. You're the man. I'm the woman. You have the power to switch off the mic. Um, it's about all of those other different positionings too right. and about where that positions us in terms of the power dynamic. Um, yeah. And it seems too far too like complicated and entrenched mm. to even address. But that's... Power <clears throat> and in that way. Yeah, and for me, um, there is only so much that we can address as an individual. Yeah. And but sometimes um it's just about okay, yes, there's value in change and activism and addressing, yeah. but also there's value in um acknowledging and understanding and um recognizing your own position in those contexts too. Mm-hmm. Um so that you can then really be aware of how you're interacting, what you're doing. And yeah, you can't change the fact, like we can't change the fact that right now, yeah, you have the on and off button and you can switch it off. Yeah. We can't change that. If you try and change that, that would be silly because we wouldn't be doing this. And that's just the situation that we're in. These things are always going to be there. How do we address that then? And that is the big question. Yeah, it is. Right? Not to and level, not to throw that at you. Yeah, no, but, but that is the big question. Um, my my perspective is that we start to address that by should you start your own your own movement yeah 
Isn't that the idea behind the black-owned businesses movement? Support yeah. black-owned businesses? Well, the thing, there are loads of different... That's the way to address the everything being owned by rich, balding, fat, white yeah. men, 50-year-old men. There are loads of different, I guess, perspectives about that. I mean, I... I, I address it in my own kinds of ways. So, like, in my research, and I do research with children... Um, I try that it's like I said there's something about acknowledging those power relations that we exist within right knowing that they're there mm-hmm. can't necessarily take them away I can't take your laptop away from well yeah I could I could take it away and be like I'm in control now yeah, ha, ha, ha. just run away with it um, yeah. you know but ultimately it belongs to you um, but for me there's something about literally acknowledging where I sit in that but also knowing that for instance yes I might have power in certain contexts but that shouldn't for me anyway being careful about where that's used and where that's misused and how you know we might assume that we are being I don't know quote unquote empowering or um, helpful or something by lifting others up and giving them a voice but actually it's still us in positions of power when you're we do that them up. because you're the one that's so I think there's something more nuanced about how we approach that um, actually yeah that's what I thought when um, the artist uh, a photographer got in trouble for refusing to move yeah when she created a space at the front for women of color yep um i just didn't understand i mean logistically that was stupid they should have reserved the place in the first place and not let anyone in to start with and then said women of color come in this is your space you can come to the front mm-hmm. not be like move you can't sit here now anymore yeah, there's, there's something... Well, that's just a logistic thing. Well, there's something about, I don't know, checking in with your own privilege or that, that kind of thing, but also about looking at what's being played out when you do um, do things which on the surface might... You know, you might feel, yes, I'm doing these things to empower these people, but actually um, unpacking that and thinking, actually... I'm in a position of privilege to be able to do that. Um, is there something about an alternative way of doing this? And that, I think, I guess that's why I keep kind of coming back to that um, not individualizing thing. Because if we do individualize these issues, well, you are in a position of power to be able to do that, but also you're not addressing the actual. Mm-hmm. bigger stuff and I think it takes more than one person to do that um, but that's not to say that individually we can't do our own things Yeah. Um, even if that's I don't know making conscious decisions um, being aware of the language that we're using um, calling people out those kinds of things and there are I guess that's a spectrum of things that you 
can and can't do but i i get that because sometimes it does feel like a really 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 big thing and yeah um where does that leave us as one individual person i'm gonna have to listen to this like eight times (laughs) 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 yeah i don't know it's so the worry is just the offense that people are either causing or feeling Hmm. when and and these kind of conversations these discussions about (coughs) things like this Hmm. they're either not going on or they're not heard or I don't know there is someone who will find something wrong with anything either of us have said Hmm. that will be offended by something we've said always that's an issue in itself Mm. I think these conversations and these dialogues do happen probably more often than we think they do I mean in the media no I mean yeah that's what I mean but the visibility of them so I was at um, a conference a couple of weekends ago it wasn't a conference per se it was a TEDx women event and it was all day amazing women speakers Mm -hmm talking about incredible feminist work that they're doing and that space was incredible um it's not necessarily visible external to that place it's not necessarily you know the ted talks will be on youtube or you know they'll be there for people to watch Mm -hmm. but the, the what was created in that space isn't something that I think is normally or usually um, accessible in other spaces. Right. So I think there is something around actually these conversations do happen. This work is done. Um, But um, how other people hear that work or respond to that work, that determines how much visibility it has. So it's in a bubble. But not intentionally. Right. Does that make so it's that power relation thing. Um, so it's like if I say something, it kinda means nothing unless it's heard. Yeah. I guess. Does it? Well If you don't have the power for anyone to listen. I don't know. Well in For so, tree falls. Let's so in like this conversation, if I say something and then you dismiss that or you I don't know interrupt halfway and mm-hmm. say something else like your own interpretation of what I've said, then that means that actually what I said wasn't heard and therefore has very little kind of impact in this space. But I'm not saying that this is what's happening. I'm just saying. Yeah, but I mean that's the way conversations are, though. People interrupt each other. But certain kinds of um, opinions or experiences are more likely to be heard than others are. Yes. 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 But it's not fair to characterise a group that has those opinions. No. As always doing that. As always. So let's use the interrupting. Yeah. Um, 
men interrupting women. Yeah. Men also interrupt men. It no, might I'm just, not, you know, it might just, no, I know, but I mean, it might just be the way men talk. Interrupting everybody. <laughs> but it's not even necessarily about the interrupting. Um, yeah, I interrupt people. It happens, uh, right? Ha- Sometimes you, know, you just blurt stuff out. Yeah, of course. So it's not really about that. It's more about um, certain experiences or voices are made less visible in certain spaces. Right. Um, and that's not about interrupting or not interrupting. It's just about whether the other, whether the recipient or recipients of that story or experience um, hear what is being said. And you can interrupt or not interrupt. So it's not really about that. Although yes, that does happen, and you know, yes, it can happen. Yeah. You know, by men, and they do it against yeah. women. It's like, more of an yeah. asshole thing than a man thing, isn't it? Well. Or not even an asshole thing, because I do it, and I don't mean to, and it's because I just bumble, I have something to say, and it just comes out, <laughs> because I forget it otherwise, yeah. genuinely, and that's not because um, I'm exploiting my power intentionally, mm. it's literally because I'm not that great at conversations yet, mm. I'm improving gradually, and the podcast helps, but yeah. it's not It's not because, um, like, if I interrupt you, I'm not intentionally silencing your opinion no no um and yeah i mean i don't th- that that wasn't to say that yeah no 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 yeah uh, yeah but it might um, be i've done it so i'll listen back I'll we'll probably, listen back i probably have identify all the time all the points that that happened yeah, i probably do it all the time i just did it probably but it's never because i'm trying to interrupt you yeah or give any more gravitas to my opinion of something mm. than yours mm. it's literally because of my skill in conversation <laughs> like it is yeah it's my skill in conversing it's not because of a a wider whatever a wider whatever yeah a wider more example of my terrible conversing <laughs> a wider construct i think yeah i mean <clears throat> contextually it will be different and um but i get yeah i guess what i'm meaning to say is that it's not that these conversations don't take place and that they don't happen mm-hmm. um they do but um they my experience my experience yeah. anyway is that they tend to happen in spaces which are facilitative of that conversation in the first place which are very intentional and purposeful and are used in that way and therefore yeah articulation of um, maybe um, more difficult experiences are going to be heard and are heard and therefore the voicing of that is received and even responded to in a way that isn't necessarily um, accessible in other places Um, so yeah I guess yeah I do think that these conversations happen but they only happen safely or um more openly in particular kinds of spaces um which i think is you know partly a great thing but partly also a problematic thing because it means that more everyday spaces Mm -hmm. they don't happen 
Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Uh-huh. I would always say it's useful. I would always support. So like, if you use like, was it, was it Ted Women? Was it called TEDx? TEDx Women. Yeah. Um, I would always support something like that because for that very reason that it's a space where you can have this conversation first mm. um, and maybe even then use that as a tool mm. so use the the talks recorded mm. you know any that are particularly good maybe mm. make it to the TEDx forums mm. it's a way to get that message out first and also to shore up the message within that community so that everyone's on a similar page mm. to then go and tackle the problem mm you know addressing what the problem is know your enemy sort of thing but there is also something about not relying on so it's like uh, it's also something about not relying on and I'm going to do the quote unquote but victim I don't like victimising people but if we think about it in terms of that it's also about not placing all the responsibility on particular people to change the problem in which they are disadvantaged at in yeah. the first place. That's not the right way to say it, but... No, no, um, I know what you mean, though, yeah. It's about, you know, if someone... it's it Yeah, if I'm experiencing a disadvantage or oppression, it's not up to me to change it. That's um, what um, the... What's the guy? The guy in in charge of the alt-right the guy who came up with it Richard Spencer okay uh, that was his argument for uh, against um, basically his argument for white supremacy mm. which is obviously stupid is um, that black people won't pull the, themselves up by their bootstraps and get, or like mm. slavery has been good mm. because look at what happened uh, they're now in the west and they can achieve all these things but they don't because they're lazy mm. God. That's, I mean that's the argument he yeah. says right Yeah. and that's that isn't it that's saying you know looking at a community that's being oppressed and saying you know do something about your oppression yeah it's not in fact that's a like reproduction of oppression in the first place yeah right that's yeah. like you know it's almost like if if I have a like you know when you tease someone like yeah. I have a thing it's like here you go put it in yeah, front yeah, of their yeah. face and move it uh-huh. it's like look yeah. look, get yourself out of oppression yeah. but yeah. you can't yeah I know it's up to you to change this whole thing that I caught produced these contexts <laughs> yeah. and conditions in the very first place no it's not yeah um, <laughs> that's not fair it's not fair to ask that no but that's what happens and that's what's reproduced in so many different kinds of contexts like even in the therapeutic work that I do um, and I am aware I'm quite critical of some of that but um, that's what is potentially reproduced in spaces where people are um, made responsible for changing contexts and environments that they didn't create I guess that happens a lot with children right um Sometimes. I mean, what are they supposed to do about their oppressors if they're in care, for example, and it's well, their exactly. carers that are their oppressors? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Well, not specifically their carers, but or um, whoever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> yeah. new conversation. Well, it's not. It's part of this, but it's 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 a 
it's a it's a big one around um, what we do when we send people to therapy or other spaces where I really you know I do I value and I know the importance of a therapeutic space but I am also cautious about the way that sometimes we overlook um, other conditions and Mm -hmm. environmental contexts and factors that are just so beyond one person's control um, and the way that we might then unintentionally kind of make that person then responsible for changing and if that's not possible then they're then to blame somehow and anyway like I said like that that is a bigger conversation Mm -hmm. and I don't want to misrepresent it by not giving it the time I misrepresent everything all the time (laughs) including myself don't worry about it. yeah I'm sure I do (laughs) I'm sure I do I wanted to ask you something specific actually as well okay that's hopefully easier for my brain to understand yeah um What's the difference between, because I hear the term a lot, mm. what's the difference between explaining mm. and mansplaining? I see. So for me, there's quite a big difference. So for mm. me, it's like if I, if you and I mm-hmm. were talking about, okay, so we both do PhDs. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was... If you asked me to describe my research, I would start to describe my research. Yeah. Mansplaining would be if you jumped in and tried to describe my own research for me. And that happens. That happens. A lot. A lot. Yes. Um, What authority would I have to explain your... Well, you don't, but you have privilege. Because I can just jump in. Yes. Can't you jump in while I'm explaining mine? I could, but I wouldn't be mansplaining. And the chances are that because of those kind of power relations, the way that actually in this context, I might not be in a position of power that enables right. me to jump in. So it's just a power thing. Yes. So it's mansplaining because of the power. Yes. If you just if you didn't have the power mm-hmm. and you jumped in, you'd yeah. just be being an asshole and jumping in. Well, you might not. And it's more than likely that you wouldn't then jump in because you respect that that other person knows what they're talking about. Right, but if you did, you'd just be going against the power. But you probably wouldn't. And probably wouldn't. Yeah, Likely wouldn't. you probably wouldn't <coughs> because you would, you know, you think this person uh, is an expert in this area, so I'm going to ask them to explain this thing to me. Um, and the likelihood of you thinking that you have some kind of level of expertise... Um, that enables the, that option for you to jump in and then explain just probably won't happen. Is the idea then that that comes from a like a subconscious lack of respect for women? I don't think it's a subconscious lack of respect. I think it's very much based on those kind of power relations, um, which, yeah, can be disrespectful but um, I think it's more just an abuse of that position of power and actually a devaluing of that person's existence in that Mm -hmm. space their knowledge and their existence in that space then why isn't it called power splaining 
Because um, if we think of it in terms of a gendered thing, particularly, and I don't think it's just a gendered thing. I think that's where I say actually it's not all about gender. Yeah. Um, class comes in there, ability comes in there, race comes in there too. Mm-hmm. And that's what informs those kinds of power relations. So I don't think it's always a gender thing, but mostly what happens. In feminism, it would be about gender. Well, and everything else. Right. But if you're going to analyse that purely from a gender position, Mm -hmm. it's more than likely going to be a man explaining to a woman something that the woman probably knows more about because he is more privileged in that context. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, if you unpack those positions of privilege with the kind of understanding that it's not always as simple as, okay, I've got penis power, this person doesn't. There are other things at penis play. Penis power. Sorry, yeah, that's yeah. just funny. Penis power. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah. No, and it could, yeah. Power splaining kind of works. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I just thought, why isn't it power splaining? Because because of the the appearance feminism gets of mm. just being man-hating. I think because there's something very um, specific that, that does unfold um, in a gendered way, which is then called mansplaining, where that happens. Yeah. But obviously, I have the capacity to... Well, you communicate really well. You actually explain your idea and not be like, you don't give off that and the same with Charlotte you don't give off the man-hating appearance that people see a lot of the time and I understand on Twitter you only have 140 characters it's very difficult oh you have 280 oh now you have 280 yeah. yeah it's very difficult to concisely you know not be man-hating or not offend not offend that's the wrong word not it's difficult to be clear yeah. Maybe in that limited. And no one's going to read a giant Facebook post when you <laughs> explain your exact point of view and why you chose each word. Are you talking about mansplaining on Twitter or Facebook? Or? I'm I'm talking about, you know, the way feminism comes across. Yeah. I mean, my opinion on how feminism comes across means absolutely nothing. Yeah. But well, it's just... It's just... I just wanted to know what it really is. I think... Honestly, I think its definition means something quite different to different people, and that comes from their own experiences. Um, for me, it was never really something that um, I understood uh, until probably, or never even something that I'd thought about understanding until I was coming probably to the end of my undergrad degree and was starting my counselling and psychotherapy training, which was in 2013. Right. So, because I'd never really understood or started to try and understand my own life and my own experiences um, in that way. But then when I started, when I started to try and piece together me and understand some of myself, then, yeah, that that's where I started thinking more in terms of 
I don't, know, I don't even know the best way to put this, just more in terms of what feminism might mean to me. And I think our definitions come, well, my definition anyway, comes from a lot of my own experiences. Um, different things mean different things to different people. Um, and it's constantly changing too. It's constantly changing. It's constantly changing in response to you know, the work that I do in response to what mm-hmm. I'm teaching, in response to my own research. It's just, it's something that's shifting and actually it's kind of part of me now. But it's great you're able to do that. <clears throat> yeah. So be able to change your mind on what things are, to grow and get better at stuff. And, and I mean, that's the reason why... I have people on here. Mm. You know, it's an excuse for me to talk to people I want to talk to. Mm. I mean, like I said, how often do you sit down? I mean, we've done two hours and two minutes. <laughs> how often do you sit down for two hours and learn what you can from someone? Not very you know? often. And I'm going to have to listen to this again yeah. because you broke my brain <laughs> <laughs> on several different occasions. My own brain breaks sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully... We'll we'll see in the coming weeks. We'll see if I get this spidey sense for social construction as well. It's, I mean, it really, yeah, it really is for me something that is constantly something I am learning more about. And that means understanding myself and that's hard and positioning myself in everything that I do. Um... And I think often, I mean, even as psychologists, we're not often taught to position ourselves in things. Mm. We're taught to remove ourselves and be very objective. But like I said, it wasn't until the end of my degree that, and I started my counseling psychotherapy training where I was kind of put in positions with clients where I am there and there is a power relation. And oh my goodness, I am positioning myself here. What does this mean? Yeah with that and so yeah for me it's constant work of what does this mean yeah the objectivity though is to to follow the scientific method Mm. as best as we can and that's what I mean I think particularly if you've been trained as a psychologist or you work in psychology Mm. we're often told you know, be objective, <laughs> take yourself yeah, away. As much as we can, yeah. Um, I like my belief is that's quite impossible. And yes. I know we probably have different beliefs about that. No, no, I agree. Um, it is hard to, it's it, it's not possible to remove yourself completely. Mm. But as a scientific discipline and as a scientist, it's your job to do so in studying a phenomena. No, this is a whole other conversation too. And measure, I know, <laughs> oh my I can goodness! Imagine, yeah. Oh my goodness! But like, for example, if you're working out how the how memory works, yeah. You, your job is to try and objectively look at how these people's memory is working. How many items can these people remember? Yeah. And I statistically, th- come up with a way that this has happened not because of chance. So we get yeah. this interference effect. Blah blah blah. We can measure that, and that's objective. Um. I, suppose, I, I don't see how you could do that subjectively. No, I suppose my um, 
Oh my goodness, it's so much of a bigger conversation. Now my brain <laughs> Maybe will next break. Time. <laughs> um, no, seriously, that is it is yeah, a very oh, good conversation. We'll, we'll remember that for next um, time you come on. But I think to not go into the whole big conversation, it like I guess my research is very different to looking at memory and for yeah yeah if we're interested in people's experiences and um, you know human experiences often we can't remove ourselves from how we're understanding that I agree yeah. and that's kind of where I come from with some of the feminism that's why I'm very much a proponent of mixed methods uh. for that very purpose mm. it's important to have the experience particularly because my research is altered states mm. yeah, it's very difficult to remove the experience mm. because we don't know what's going on mm. we don't have the answer to what consciousness is in the first place mm. So what exactly we're altering is a question in of, in of itself. Mm. So I'd ask you, <laughs> are you altered in some kind of... Uh, mm. Is your consciousness different to how it normally is? Only you know what normal is for you. Normal I is a construct. There you go. I can't, <laughs> I can't objectively tell you what normal is for you. It's a construct. Yeah. <laughs> we'll end on normal is a construct. <laughs> That's a good ending. <laughs> it's a great ending. Yeah. Um how can the men's rights activists reach you to attack you on Twitter? Oh my goodness. Or um, people that want to say words of wisdom and support or if anyone does. Anybody that wants to reach me can find me on Twitter very easily under Tanya Beetham, which is my name, although I'm not actively putting myself out there for... Uh, <laughs> no, no I'm, they don't listen. I know. <laughs> I'm sure they don't listen to me. Yep. Um, yeah, thank you for coming on. That was wicked. That two, was awesome. Thank you. Two hours, six minutes. That's good. That's, I think it's the longest. Oh, my goodness. I think you beat Charlotte. Wow. By six minutes. Wow. I mean. So you win. I win. Well, no. We've had a very long conversation. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. It's thank been you awesome. Very much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to episode 6 of the Trapidemic Podcast. You can reach me on uh, Alex P. Wilson. And you can reach Tanya at Tanya Beetham. If, uh, if you like the podcast, please get in touch. There's numerous ways you can support the podcast if you wish to. You can write a review on iTunes, on Stitcher. You can share on your social media or just join the conversation with us. You can also support through Patreon, although that's not I mean, it's set up and able to do, but uh, I haven't set the rewards up yet, which I, I'm going to do at some point. But for sure, the first lot of patrons will be elders. <laughs> will be the uh, the council. So yeah, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. And we'll see you soon. <laughs>